more than 100 unique styles of beer, each with their own set of ingredients, process, guidelines, history, and experience. If you're a beer lover, an industry leader, or somewhere in between, a better knowledge of beer style will improve your life and your work. Welcome to A Sense of Beer Style, essential beer style training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. I'm Julia Herz. And I'm Jeremy Storton. We're advanced Cicerones, beer judges, home brewers, and we're excited to guide you through the vast and wonderful world of beer styles. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining Jeremy and I, Jeremy in Arizona, me in Lyons, Colorado, for Kulch. And we're now talking pale, bitter European beers. Bitter is an essence of the theme of the beers in this category in Beer Judge Certification Program Style Guidelines 2021. And I have just cracked an example that we will talk about in a minute, but at least you can then see. I am definitely serving in a dirty glass based on the <laughs> terrible nucleation sites in the, on the side and the bottom. Apologies there. Wow. Well, because you are showing us what a beer clean glass is not. So thank you for your sacrifice, Julia. Totally. Wherever bubbles stick to the side of the glass is not intended. That means that resident um, uh, affairs of the previous glasses um, uh, ex escapades are still there. So that's kind of a sad state of affairs. But you get the sense of color and the color of foam and whatnot. And we're talking coach. And I can't be more excited to kick this off. The relevance of this beer is that, um, you know, Germany is one of the great brewing nations. Um, you and I, Jeremy, as United States uh, citizens and most traveled here are, are sharing our lens of the world as beer um, educators, but we're never presuming to know the exact everything for every beer topic. And so anything we don't get right in any of the German, the Belgian, the English styles, et cetera, we would love to be um, informed further. But Kolsch is truly a great example of a, of a rebellious style, right? The history takes us to, you know, an appellation that has, you know, claim to from 20 breweries or so in Cologne, Germany, they're telling us we make this beer. And if you're going to make it, it's Kolsch style, right? Um, it's almost like Parmesan cheese in that regard. And, you know, in 1603, there was definitely a um, forbidding a brewing lager beer in response to the Reinheitsgebot. And the Reinheitsgebot is saying that in Germany, you were going to brew beers with certain ingredients and no other ingredients. And one of those was lager yeast. So here we have Kolsch and we'll talk about it with ale yeast and other, wow, sassy additions like wheat, um, but yet wheat was allowed usually in the um, in the Red Hutzkabalt, but they're doing it in a way that was just really, truly rebellious, served in different glasses than we're used to and the like. So super excited to talk about it. Jeremy, take us through typical ingredients of this incredible style. Oh, absolutely. And I do have to say that just the story alone behind this beer, how it came to be, where it is today, um, the story behind, you mentioned it's an Appalachian. For some reason, I have this in my head. It, uh, it was formalized in Appalachian at the 1986 Kolsch Convention. There was actually a Kolsch Convention in the town of Cologne to say that, no, this is our beer. No one else can have it. Um, and it's a very curious thing that it's an ale, and we'll, we'll talk about that now. But um, uh, the... This is a very simple beer. Well, not a simple beer. It's a very uh, complex tasting beer, but you know, it, it was designed with as Pilsner, uh, the Czech and the German Pilsner tried to take over the world. And, and we realized 
we I had nothing to do with it. I wasn't there. But uh, as brewers realized, hey, people want to drink the stuff and we need to sell what they want, then uh, you had a lot of examples of breweries in different regions creating something that could compete with a Pilsner. And this is one of those stories. Uh, so therefore, the ingredients that you expect from this is a German Pils or a Pale Malt because you want it to be light. A traditional German hops because this is what they used. These were the noble hops. This is this is what beer is made from. And we want to compete with that Pilsner. But the unique thing about this, oh, and you mentioned they could use a little bit of wheat. Sometimes they'll use wheat to get some sweetness in there uh, and as well. And this wonderful, wonderful uh, head. But the thing that's really interesting is there are really three types of beers. You have ales, you have lagers, and then you have hybrids. This is one of those hybrids where it's an ale yeast because this is what they had available to them. The, the, these weren't the uh, the mountains of Bavaria where uh, lager kind of uh, evolved and adapted. They were using ale yeast, but they used this ale and they lagered it at very cool temperatures to ferment and to store and to mature. And so you get this very clean uh, beer out of it. Um, uh, so it is, it is actually fermented warm because it's nail yeast, but then it is lagered in a cold storage for a long time. And that's really the, the, the ingredient story of Kolsch. Um, so given that those sets of ingredients, Julia, what kind of overall experience would we get when we taste our first Kolsch? Absolutely. And to add to what you just said before I do that is lager means to lay down. Um, but the key thing that Jeremy pointed out is this, you know, clean, um, you know, uh, attenuative German ale yeast that's used for Kolsch. So that, that's a really big deal. Uh, and the essence is, is you're, be, you're drinking these beers for kind of overall sensory. You want them fresh. Kolsch, the first time I was served a proper Kolsch, I, mm. you know, that somebody literally flew back from Germany to me. I don't remember which brand example, but I kind of cried. And it was like, <laughs> oh, this is what Kolsch should be. And so the overall impression is, it's a brilliantly clear, right? It's supposed to be clear, pale colored, right? That's super like um, hay color to straw to gold color. Delicate balance. You've got, you know, this Pilsner malt centric, hop character and very low notes, moderate bitterness. You've got some discerning bitterness though that's balancing. And very well attenuated, you know, um, dry, dry er finish. So it's uh, meant to be very refreshing. And that is that is the easy hit. So if you're talking about Kolsch as one of these pale, bitter European lagers, you want it to be that clear, pale beer, balanced, attenuated and refreshing. That is that is absolutely it. Yeah. And as far as the appearance goes, just to kind of dive into those weeds a little bit more, this beer by its story, by its history, was designed to compete with uh, Pilsner as it took over Europe and eventually took over the world. So that being said, it is going to be very pale to uh, like a medium yellow to maybe even a light gold. It should not, by style, be very dark. It should not get into amber. This is meant to be light. It's it's meant to be brilliantly clear. Um, and when you serve it in a proper glassware, we'll talk about it in a minute, uh, which is very skinny. You can see the color. You can see through it very, very clearly. Um, and that's just part of the excitement of this beer and, and the story and the experience of this beer. Um, uh, the, while the, uh, at least the head on my glass is persisting quite a bit, it may not always persist. It really depends on the beer. If they did use wheat, it probably will persist for quite a long time. It also depends on the glass as well. Um, 
the glass I'm using is a little bit more traditional, so it's really holding that foam. If you use something with a little bit more of an outward taper like Julia has, it may not support that form quite as well. Um, and so this is where uh, glassware matters a little bit. Um, but this is your visual experience when you first get this beer in your hand. This is this is part of that story. Um, so let, let's talk about, uh, Julia, you want to take us through the aroma of what we should smell? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, also to add on wheat and the mention of that, wheat adds and aids head retention. It's got higher yes. proteins. So you'll often see more of a, a higher head retention in this beer than you will your typical um, you know, Trek premium lagers and the like. So on aroma, I mean, the essence really is the malt in this beer, but even though it's ale yeast, that's in the backdrop, that grainy, sweet malt aroma. Do yourself a favor. If you are serving tableside and, and listening to this podcast, if you're studying for Cicerone, studying for BJCP, in beer and brewing beer, take some Pilsner malt, make a tea with a little bit of hop water, 150 degrees, steep it and then taste the Pilsner malt tea. That is what this is. And most besides that is a, a medium low bitterness, a little bit of ethanol, maybe some fruit aromas from the, uh, the ale yeast, but usually lagered and, and you know fermented at cooler temperatures. Um, so that's it. Like, and then and a little bit of hop essence of that German noble hops and spicy floral herbal is optional, but commonly there, especially when you get a fresh example. And I love how aroma always leads us to flavor. So mm. take us, take us from here, Jeremy. Yes. The, um, th this is another one of those beers that it sh is very well balanced in my, to my palate, but you get this, they call it soft and delicate. I think it's not quite as soft and delicate as, as we make it to say. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I find it be pretty pronounced of just like a water cracker, very light, pale honey, um, uh, this I get this wonderful graininess and and very like uh, white bread, but like a like a artisanal white bread, not like a wonder white bread. Um, uh, and and that's that's your base for this. And of course, you get the uh, a, a low a very low um, excuse me a low to medium high noble hop character. Which, so you can have some high um, uh, uh, flavor in there, but it's not going to be very bitter. The thing I find very interesting about this, because remember, this is an ale. This is with an ale yeast. You can get some fruity esters out of this, and it's really going to come across in a little bit more of like a palm fruit, uh, apple, pear. Uh, it makes it really, really interesting, very refreshing, um, and, and really wonderfully pairable. Um, but because you're using a lot of Pilsner malt, you can get, and it's totally okay to get, just a little bit of sulfury notes. Um and as long as it's very, very, very low and very subtle, then that's perfectly normal. Um, oh, one other little ester that I sometimes get out of different colches is this kind of like a green grapey type of flavor too that I think is just exceptional. Um, uh, but this should be very, very clean otherwise because it, it frankly, it has been lagered and so that the ale has not been allowed to really produce all these huge esters in this fermentation profile is still pretty clean because of the way that they brewed it. Um, and that, that's for me, that's the flavor I get out of a really good Kolsch. It's just, it's just kind of like the best of both worlds. Uh, what about the, uh, what kind of, what kind of palate mouthfeel experience would you get to get, expect out of this? Sure. We're, we're not at all talking about acidity in any level. This is a medium light to medium body, um, beer. 
and, and medium high carbonation is certainly what the style guidelines takes to the highest end. 2.7 volumes of CO2 are to be expected. So um, we're saying well attenuated, finishes a little bit dry, never heavy, never harsh, very essence of refreshing. And with that, there's a lot of styles that are kind of close to this, but not quite a Kolsch. And when you judge, if you sit for advanced, for example, mm -hmm. that's when they start to slip in the Kolsch compared to German Pilsner or the Kolsch compared to what Jeremy is going to share with us. So Jeremy, what, what is this commonly um, maybe confused with or, or different from, but you know, also the same? Yeah, that, that is a very good call. If you are going to sit for advanced or master, you need to know the difference between this and a few different styles. And so the only way to do that is taste them side by side because there's so much overlap. I think this beer could be easily confused for a Hellas, which is going to be a little bit more malty and elegant and refined. It's It can be easily confused with a German Pils, which is going to be a little bit lighter and a little bit uh, snappier on the bitterness. Uh, uh, by the brewing process and flavor, it can be easily confused for an American cream ale. But keep in mind, an American cream ale is going to have more American ingredients. A Kolsch will have more German type of ingredients. Uh, and so knowing those nuances. The other thing about a cream ale is you have more adjunct flavors in there, which for me is best described as almost like a negative space with rice or corn. You get just more of like a neutral flavorless flavor, um, whereas this actually does have flavor. It does have a little bit of body compared to the cream ale. But in order to really experience this, you have to taste all of these side by side. Uh, th that that would be the best advice I have for looking at uh, style comparisons for the Kolsch. But as far as commercial examples, what yeah. talk to us about that. Well, I mean, we're decades into the craft beer movement. Let's all admit that, obviously, and yeah. praise it. Uh, but you, you, you got to go with German style examples. Uh, what I am drinking and um, Reistel is uh, a classic example. Um, Fruhl, uh, and there's umlauts over everything. Kolsch, the O in Kolsch, and a lot of the names. Yep, there you yeah. go. So, Jer so Jeremy and I have two of the classic examples that, frankly, are... In America, at least, you can buy them in the States like pretty prolifically, which is amazing because they're not going to be such broad producing breweries, but they definitely allow a lot for export. And then so Jeremy's got, you know, it looks like, what is that one, Jeremy? It's called, it's such a great name. It's Eau de Cologne, <laughs> which yes, I think is so, so just beautiful. Old. Cologne. As we said, you know, 20, 20 basic Germanys. If you go to Cologne, you're going to drink this. Jeremy's going to take us through some glassware and, and whatnot. But what I'm talking about is get the classic styles to calibrate. Sunner Kolsch is another one. And then, you know, Alaskan summer is a good U.S. example from a craft brewer. But calibrate with this, as Jeremy said, so you can get the essence of this compared, the nuance of this compared to other styles. And it really is one of those you've got to have it in your tasting repertoire if you're trying to flex your muscle in being a beer authority for sure. So with that and commercial examples, maybe hopefully under people's belts, what about glassware and ideal temperature? This is such a big topic, especially in this beer style. Well, I'm, I'm going to sideline uh, that for a second and go into beer stats so we don't jump over that real quick. But, um, but I do want to say real quick, I love that this is a beer that a lot of craft brewers are brewing. This is a pretty easy thing to find. 
partly because if you're going to brew a traditional lager and you're going to do it the right way, you're going to tie up your tanks for a month or three. Whereas with a with a Kolsch, it's going to ferment because with the ale, you're going to it's going to ferment quickly and mature relatively quickly in a month or less. And so these are pretty off, uh, common to find for those summertime uh, pale uh, lager substitutes that the craft brewers are doing because, you know, they're smart. They know that we don't want to type our stuff for a while. And so yeah, and Jeremy, you're right. Take us through the vital stats. We have an order in the madness of you <laughs> listening to this podcast and I somehow missed it and jumped ahead. So please Give it some yeah, that's why there's two of us here. Um, so the uh, let's talk about the. Uh, I'm just going to start with the ABV in this. This is not mm-hmm. going to be a strong beer. This is going to be right in the lower part of the uh, of the um, uh, of the average beer style from uh, four four to five two. Uh, again, these are German beer styles. They have very tight specs on these. Um, uh, but you know, four and a half to, to five. I mean, this is not a strong beer. You could have a few of these. Uh, IBUs from 18 to 30. So there is some hop flavor to it. There is some bitterness to it, but it's not going to uh, melt your face off. It's going to be very easy drinking and balanced. The SRM scale, the color scale, we talked about this before. This is very light, very pale, meant to compete with the lagers and pilsners. And so we're looking at three and a half to five. I mean, we're we're not even past the five SRM. So when you start getting to like really dark gold, then it's getting too dark. Uh, original gravities of these are going to reflect the uh, ABV, of course, but we're looking at 1044 to 1050. Um, but when we, more important for me is the final gravity where you get a sense of the body, you get a sense of the experience and we're, we're at a 10 to 10 11. So for me, 10, 10 is that kind of like a half or that point where under which it starts getting really light and dry and easy to drink and above which it's starting to get a little bit of body. So it's right there on the fence. Um, and so that's where this just makes this beer such a, a, a wonderful uh, easy drinking beer that but that's frankly kind of easy to find. So now, now the moment you've all been waiting for, let's talk about the glass. This is a very particular glass. Yeah. And Jeremy, you've done it right. I haven't. I tried to pick the straightest angle, <laughs> not um, more than 12 ounces. That's probably an eight ounce glass or probably milliliters based on, you know, German um, convention. Yeah. What, what Jeremy's got and uh, bad American public school, public student, uh, public school system um, student, Stanga is how I would pronounce it. Jeremy, how do we pronounce it? So I heard this from Master Cicerone, Rich Higgins, who is fluent in German and has traveled to Germany many, 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 many times. And I've heard him pronounce this Stanga. Um, Stanga. Stanga. So that is the glass in Jeremy's hand. And when you are in Cologne with those 20 breweries, near the Rhine River region, you are ordering these beers. And unless you put something on top of your glass, they keep serving you and they top it off and they are served to you by Kolbs, which are a form of server um, that certainly know this beer and are locals and you serving temperature wise. The reason, one of the reasons they're topping it off, you want it cold. This is one of the great examples of why beer at 38 degrees Fahrenheit, which is generally for American diet, um, American mass-produced lager uh, for draft system maintenance, so you have a balanced draft system and not um, CO2 volatizing out of the glass too fast, Um, you want it at 38 degrees, low 40s maximum, and cold beer is a great example. 
when it is a cult. Yeah. Now, I do want to say, though, if you get in full-on conversation or you're doing a beer-style podcast and your Kolsch has warmed up just a bit beyond that range, it's still pretty spectacular. Um, you know, as, as this warms up, it's just getting still, I don't want to say better, it's, it's changing. It's, it's still excellent. Um, so it doesn't have to be ice cold. You don't have to pull it from the bottom of the cooler. You could pull it from the top of the cooler and be just fine, in my opinion. Fair. And I love that you're showing your non-snobby ways. So that's very, very good. <laughs> and so with that, wherever you're drinking it, hopefully you're drinking it and eating with food with it and pairing, Jeremy, what would you pair with this? Um, I, so Julia, you'll be proud of me. I have done uh, quite a bit of research on food pairing with a proper Kolsch. Um, you know, having grown up in Southern California, I want some good California batter fried fish tacos with this beer. And that is spectacular. Um, I have spent uh, quite a bit of time pairing this beer with um, like a spicy calabrese or, um, or uh, you know, kind of like a, a Spanish chorizo that's slightly sp- spicy, really fatty. That's such a wonderful, wonderful beer. Um, Spanish goat cheese um, is also spectacular with this, with this beer. It just really brings out that sweet honey like cracker flavor out of it. And, and you know what nutty something nutty with yeah. this i like that nutty can be a range of cashews to to regular peanuts to pecans but i love that at last edition of that type of cheese goat cheese can be a little gamey certainly but nutty mm-hmm. um and maybe sheep cheese too that takes yeah. us to that level yeah yeah so, I, um, I i could have manchego with fun. this beer any day every day yeah i love it i got nothing to add oh come on you're you're the queen of beer pairing well, How about I mean, a dessert? Dessert, Jeremy always pushes us to dessert. <laughs> I mean, a couch to me is going to, I want it cold with dessert. Okay, you're challenging me. <laughs> I think in terms of dessert, I would want to go like a, yeah, maybe an apricot cake or something like that. Mm. I mean, we could put like like uh, the um, the white stone fruit type of fruits, peaches, I'm thinking apricots, yeah. right? Um, something that's not too, you know, the red fruits go a little far. So, um, yeah, I want, I want, I want lots of apricots with this. That's what I want. I, I, uh, I've experimented with this too, a little bit and doing like, uh, fried peaches with a little bit of, uh, there's a Manoa chocolate out of Hawaii that makes a goat, uh, goat milk chocolate. You melt that in the center and do just a slight little drizzle of honey. I think that might be an interesting thing to try. Wow. Yep. Absolutely. Sold. Sold. Right? Sign me up. Yes. I know. I, I'm willing to do the hard work to see if that's going to work or not. That's it. And so I think we have our show. So we- thanks for joining us for Kolsch, pale, you know, pale bitter Euro um, beer, something you need in your back pocket. You certainly need this style if you're studying and serving it. Um, so good beers to you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Essential Beer Style, the essential beer style training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. With advanced Cicerones, me, Julia, and me, Jeremy. Tune into the next episode as we continue exploring the world of beer styles and what to make of them. We encourage you to listen to the prepisodes to build your foundation and better understand beer styles. And before the next episode, I'd like to ask you to review the show and let us know what you'd like featured in upcoming episodes. Until next time, here's to you and your sense of beer style. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.